Amen and amen. Thank you, Nate and Team Unveiled, for that reminder, that prayer that we just sung. The cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out. Is that the desire of your heart this morning? Amen. Amen. Then you're prepared to hear God's word. Amen. Well, buenos dias. Como esta usted? Oh, I'm no longer in Mexico? I'm no longer in Mexico. Well, I had a privilege uh, this last week. Uh, I spent uh, the week in Mexico, in Ensenada, with these two amazing people, uh, Brian Upton, the son of Andy and Cindy Upton, um, that are with us here, uh, and his lovely wife, Ellie. And they are missionaries down in Ensenada with Youth with a Mission, and they serve on staff there. And uh, we, we had a chance to hang out with their whole family uh, and, and uh, just see their girls play and, and uh, enjoy life and just be a family down there was such a privilege. There's Ruthie. She's a darling. And she's got an appetite. That girl can eat. Like the whole time I was there, she had something in her mouth. She was eating. So she's uh, getting plenty of nutrition. Of course, there's Abby's the oldest, Hannah, and then they have Nora, and then Ruthie. So I passed the test, right? I, I remembered all the names. There's the base uh, that we got to stay at. They're renovating the base, and it's a beautiful place to stay. It's right along the coast there in Ensenada. So they have a premier property uh, to stay at, and uh, it's a great base from which they do all kinds of mission adventure programs down there in Mexico. They build homes for those that need hope. They call it Homes for Hope. And uh, we've done that a couple times as a church down there in Mexico. Um, and of course, the reason that they're there, the reason that they exist is to minister to those that um, are poor, both spiritually poor as well as physically poor in the area, and just provide them the sense of hope in Jesus, the love that Jesus has for them as individuals. And so I, I spent a lot of time teaching. In, every morning I was teaching a DBS. Uh, it's, it's a discipleship Bible school that Brian actually oversees as part of his responsibilities there um, as a missionary is training up uh, students, international students, to go and become more prepared for ministry around the world. And so I had the privilege, the honor to be invited by Brian, who runs that school, to come and share from the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and walk the students through those books this last week. So if I start talking about the feasts and sacrifices, you'll know that's where my head was all week. And so um, there, was my, uh, there was my office, uh, and what's great is I think the next slide has the view from my office. There it is. There's the view from my office, so don't think I suffered too much. I had a beautiful time down there. Amy and I spent a lot of afternoons together, uh, strolling the beach, enjoying Ensenada, and just um, no kids, just hanging out as a couple. So really refreshing time for me personally, um, our marriage, and uh, we just thank you for praying for us. If you knew we were down there, um, it was an awesome week of just um, uh, fellowship and encouragement with Brian, Ellie, and their family. This morning, I have some questions I want to begin with as we dive into our uh, look in the book of Galatians as we continue our series this morning. Uh, number one, what have you witnessed that breaks your heart? Have you ever come across something that just 
just breaks your heart. You know, I was walking on the beach, and um, there was these two kids, and they were, they were just, like, trying to sell things, and uh, we, were in, we were in downtown Ensenada, and again, there were some children there that were just dirty and uh, looked unhappy to me, and they're, like, had some older lady kind of overseeing their work, uh, making sure they were earning enough money for the day, and it, it just kind of broke my heart that that's their existence, that's their childhood, you know, is, is they don't understand anything more than trying to make it, you know, for the next peso, the next dollar that they can earn to try and sustain themselves. And, and so there's, there's deep poverty in Mexico, and it's heartbreaking to watch that um, happen and unfold, especially coming from the States, where we take for granted having two or three cars in our driveway. And yet, a lot of these people, if they're, if they're fortunate to have a vehicle, that's that's a measure of success and wealth. And so there's so much that, that we have that we should be thankful for, but it should turn around and become a blessing in our lives to others, should it not? What breaks your heart? Number two, how can God's love be shown into that situation? How can God's love be injected into that situation that breaks your heart? It's an important question we need to ask and answer. In what way can God's love show up in a powerful way in that situation? And number three, what role does God want you to play in displaying his love? There's always a role that we can play. It might be prayer. It might be action. It might be sacrifice of finances, time, resources, whatever we have. But God wants us to play a role in displaying his love in the lives of the brokenhearted and needy. This morning, we are called to compassion. We're looking at the liberty of love. That's our theme in the book of Galatians. And we're in chapter 2 this morning as we begin, starting at verses 1 through 10. Let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for being a God of compassion. Being a God who looked on our poverty and God, it says that though you were rich, you became poor for our sake so that we could become rich in you. And God, I, I'm just so thankful that you didn't leave us in our state of poverty, spiritual poverty, physical poverty, God, but you, you walked into our life through Jesus Christ. You opened the door to the riches of heaven. And God, through him, we can have a relationship with you that's renewed. We can enjoy your blessing both spiritual and physical, that come through following you. God, I pray that we don't just hoard those blessings, that we turn it around and we become people of compassion in your name, that we might represent you well in this community and world. We might learn to love first, in Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 2. Hopefully you were here for uh, last week as Jeff uh, dove through the rest of chapter 1, uh, and we began to see that Paul is creating a defense for why he has authority, a defense for why he has um, the right to speak into the lives of these people that are in the ch churches in Galatia. And we see that he shares kind of his personal testimony. He shares what God had done in his life personally in calling him to be a minister of the gospel to those people who were outside of God's, far away from God, outside of God's favor. 
the Gentiles, the Greeks. So in Galatians chapter 2, as we dive in, it starts with this. Paul continues his thought. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately, privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run the race in vain. In order to provide some context for today's passage, my goal is we need to walk back and see a little bit more about Paul's life, Paul's ministry, specifically Paul's trips to Jerusalem. The Bible records for us five times after Saul, who became Paul, became a follower of Jesus. There were five times the Bible tells us that he went into Jerusalem. I want to walk through those with you so that we can understand a little bit about the context in which Paul writes. Number one, the first time the Bible mentions that he uh, went into Jerusalem was after his time in Damascus. Now, you remember he was traveling on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute followers of the way, followers of the truth, followers of the life, followers of Jesus. He was there to arrest them for blasphemy. He was ready to put them to death for their crimes. And Jesus appeared from heaven, and he called out with a loud voice, and we saw that last chapter, that he, he said, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul was knocked off his, his horse and was just like stunned, and he was blinded by the light, and he cried out, Lord, Lord, who are you, Lord? And the voice answered, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go and follow what I tell you to do. Get on track with me in, my, in the life I have for you. Saul being completely overwhelmed, he went into Damascus. He found a man who healed his blindness. And, and then it says that Paul went out into the desert of Arabia for three years. The Bible tells us that he just tried to, I mean, you can imagine he had like a concussion or something, right? He's trying to clear his head. He's like, what just happened to me? And so I'm sure he spent those three years kind of like his Bible school experience, right? He went into the, the desert and he spent time in the Word, the Scriptures, the Torah. And, he, and God began to reveal to him how all of those stories in the Old Testament pointed to the Messiah. And the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Paul began to catch fire for who Jesus was and what he meant to people's lives. So the Bible says that he ran right back in, and he went, first thing he did is go to Damascus, but soon after that, the Bible records that he went into Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 30. We're going to actually read it this morning, and it's also told again in Galatians chapter 1 last week, verses 18 through 20. The second time the Bible records that he went into Jerusalem was during a time of great famine. Some 14 years later, he returns to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the reason he went is it was sort of a missionary journey because there was a time during the reign of Claudius, he was an emperor in Rome, in about 47 or 48 AD. So this is something about 17 years after Jesus had died on the cross and risen again. And that, that experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus, seeing Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that there was a great famine that hit the whole land. And so Paul gathered the resources of the churches in which he was a part of and ministering to, and they brought relief to those that were suffering in Jerusalem. This is the, this is the um, trip that's likely in view here in chapter 2 that Paul's writing about, that after 14 years he went and he traveled with Barnabas. And it says in here that he also traveled with a man named Titus. And we'll see in a little while why. Number three, the third time he went up is to attend the Jerusalem council that's recorded for us in Acts 15. He was there, and at, at, in that council, the issues that are at play here in chapter 2 in Galatians were settled once for all within the church. They had risen to such a big issue even after he wrote this letter to the Galatians that finally it was, had to be taken up by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. We have to settle this issue. Do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be saved? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow all of the laws of the covenant? Is that the requirement that, that Jesus, that God has on their life in order to receive his salvation or not? Because there was a whole host of people saying, it's not just about what Jesus did. You also have to fulfill all the requirements of the Old Testament law in order to receive God's salvation. And so that issue had to be settled. And Paul attended that council probably after he wrote this book of Galatians, had already experienced another time privately with, with some of the men in Jerusalem that we'll see here in a minute. But he had, he had attended that, and there was, that issue was settled once for all. And then in ver, uh, the fourth time he went up is recorded for us in Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And it was after his second missionary journey. See, in the first missionary journey that's recorded in Acts 12 through 14 in your Bible, he actually planted the church in Galatia, the churches that, that, that he's writing to in, in this letter. Churches like Lystra and Derby and Antioch even. Those were all part of his missionary journey through the first trip. Then the Bible tells us that he goes into Jerusalem and there's that council. And then they send him out for a second trip. And after he comes back from a second trip, he returns to Jerusalem sort of to give a report. Kind of like we have missionaries today that when they go out and they do their, their work, the church loves when they come back to visit. Right, to hear about all the things that God's doing through their work and through their ministry. And so it says that Paul returned to Jerusalem uh, to report on things and to meet with the, the apostles there in Acts chapter 18, verse 22. The final time we see Paul visiting Jerusalem is when he finally gets arrested. And we see from the um, chapter 21 of the book of Acts, verse 15, all the way basically to the end of the book of Acts, that Paul is arrested by the Jews. They finally had enough. These people that he's writing against in Galatians are very powerful people. And they haven't given up. And now they're saying, hey, we can't beat them in the argument. We don't seem to win in the council, but we're just going to get rid of them. We're going to find a way to accuse them of wrongdoing and have them tried and killed, just like we did with Jesus. Get rid of these troublemakers that are causing problems in our Jewish faith. Let's read uh, the Acts chapter 9 passage together just to get an understanding of the context in which, we're, which Paul's writing. Acts chapter 9 verse 26 says this, when he, 
speaking of Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, his name was changed, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples. Remember, this is the second time that he visits. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, this is the first time that he visits after, after his conversion. So he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. You remember the last thing they heard about his reputation is he goes around arresting people that follow Jesus, and he's very mean towards them. You remember he laid his, uh, the people all laid their coats at the feet of Saul when they were stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7. In other words, he was like the mafia boss, and all of them were doing his bidding. So, so you can imagine the disciples in Jerusalem, they hear Saul has come to Jerusalem, they're like, we got to hide. But Saul had seen Jesus, his heart was changed. He was a different man. Look at verse 27 of Acts 9. It says, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and and that he had talked to him and how, how Jesus had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. These are the ones who are Greek. They're they're sort of a mix of Gentile and Jews. But they attempted to kill him. They didn't like his message that he was sharing with them, that it's Jesus alone. You don't have to follow the Old Testament law. So they attempted to kill him. And in verse 30, it says, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, basically his hometown. Paul, you got to go home. You got to go to a place where, you're, where you can be safe, where you can be away from all of this trouble. Otherwise, they're going to kill you. Fast forward to Acts chapter 19, uh, 11, starting at verse 19. We're going to see this, this second mention here of him going to Jerusalem. And this is, the, this is the mention that is in view here in Galatians chapter 2. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, remember he was martyred in Jerusalem, the very first Christian martyr, they made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. If if you knew the, the map in that day, that's sort of like Phoenicia was in North Africa, Cyprus was an island in the Mediterranean, and Antioch was in northern Asia or like up there near Turkey. So it's kind of saying, hey, the gospel started spreading as far as these locations are concerned. And they're speaking the message to nobody except Jews. They're not going to the Gentiles. They're not going to the Greeks, the people who are far away from God. They're only, they're, they're only communicating who Jesus is to people who have a knowledge of the Old Testament and the faith. But verse 20, we read, but there were some of them Cypriot and Cyrenian men, in other words, those guys who were from the island of Cyprus and from the North African place called Cyrene, who came to Antioch, who was, that was up in north of Israel, near Turkey, and began speaking to the Hellenists. The Hellenists in this context are people who don't have a Jewish background. They're Gentiles. They're, they're people without an understanding of who the God of Israel is. And they proclaimed to them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. 
Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So you see that the Jerusalem people hear this rumor that there are Gentiles coming to Jesus. They're in this town called Antioch. Barnabas, go check it out. See what's going on up there. See if it's the right thing. Or are they gone nuts? So Barnabas goes up and he sees what's happening. And Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus and they're receiving the Holy Spirit of God. Their lives are changed. And they're worshiping him with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Barnabas sees this and he's encouraged. He's, he's wowed. He's excited. And then he thinks, like, who can help with this situation? Who do I know that God has called to minister to the Gentiles? Look at verse 25. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called what? Christians at Antioch. So now you have a blending of these Jews who had come to faith in Jesus. They recognize Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the Messiah. He is God's seed, God's chosen son from Abraham. He is the prophet that is to come, the one who is supposed to be like Moses. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He is our salvation, the Lord's salvation. And they're excited about that. They come to faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit fills them. But the Gentiles are receiving that same message. You're far away from God, but God wants to draw you near. He's provided a way to cleanse you of your sins. It's through the Lord Jesus. And the Gentiles are coming to faith. And here's a mix of Jews and Gentiles in one place, the church of Antioch, and they're given a new name, Christians, little Christ. Wow, what a picture of what the church should look like. Amen? Shouldn't be homogenous. Shouldn't be just one group of one type of people, all Southern Baptists. No, it should be a mix of all kinds of people. God is redeeming mankind, and he's bringing us together to be one family in him. Lots of different backgrounds, but one family in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Literally on the map, it's actually going up. But I guess maybe it was downhill. I don't know. Um, I, haven't been to, I haven't been to Jerusalem. I got to go. So I guess, yeah, Jerusalem's maybe elevated down to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted. He gave a revelation from the Spirit. He gave a word, if you will, that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius, as I mentioned earlier. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of who? Who carried the offering? Barnabas and the apostle Paul, Saul. Here you see they're carrying the offering. In Galatians it says they brought another guy with them. His name was Titus. And we're going to see why they brought Titus with them in just a minute. But this is the context in which the Apostle Paul visits Jerusalem, and he's writing about this to the church in, in Galatia. 
He's saying, I was already at Antioch. I've seen God's power working in the Gentiles. Barnabas witnessed it too. And let me tell you about a time where I went and I met with the, the, the pillars that are in Jerusalem, those who had founded the church, the original disciples of Jesus Christ. I've met with them, church in Galatia. I've already been there. And then I came and I, I, I went on a missionary trip. I came to your guys' places. I shared Jesus. You accepted it. But you've turned away from that gospel. Why? It's heart-wrenching to me. It's discouraging to me. Why are you following back into a different gospel? A gospel that's not the truth. And he's frustrated. He's discouraged. And he's writing this letter. So let's dive back into this letter now that we have that context. Galatians chapter 2, let's pick it up again at verse 2. I went up according to a revelation. Now we know the revelation. It was Agabus. He said there's going to be a great famine. And Paul was stirred by compassion to carry money, resources to people in need in Jerusalem and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Who does he present to them? He presents to the disciples that are in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church. We're going to actually see a few names in a minute. But privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run the race in vain. Now, Paul is not concerned that he doesn't have the message of the gospel right. He's not looking for men to affirm whether his, his good news that Jesus gave him to share is correct or not. He already knows it's the truth. He's confident in the gospel that he is presenting to all those he's ministering to. So what is his intent here? Why does he say he's hoping that his race is not run in vain? And so he wants to meet with the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. This is why I believe he felt like if, if they require that all of the people who come to faith in Jesus become circumcised, become constrained by the terms of the old covenant, then my ministry is going to be severely hindered and hampered because I haven't preached that message because that isn't the message God wants me to preach. That isn't the true gospel. But I got to clear this up with the other leaders or else there's going to be a lot of confusion among the churches. And so he meets with the leaders to, to find out. I'm sure there was a lot of prayer that went into this meeting. God, let your spirit give the same message to both of us Verse 3, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, he was one to Christ through Paul's missionary journeys. In Galatia, they knew him. And he was one to Christ, but he had no Jewish background, completely a Gentile. So Paul brings him along. He's a case, in, a case study right there. He's evidence, firsthand evidence. Here's a man, God saved, has no Jewish background, Hasn't been circumcised, but let me tell you, can you see the power of God in his life? Can you see the Holy Spirit in the man? Paul knew that he had the Holy Spirit. There was evidence of the Holy Spirit in Titus's life. And so he brought him to say, hey, let me tell you, there's, there's a man who has not been circumcised, and yet God's power is working through him. So he brings him along just in case. He needs like some evidence here, right? Verse 4. The issue arose because the false brothers smuggled in, literally they sneaked their way in 
who came in secretly, and here was their motives. It's listed right here. They had two motives, to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, and number two motive, in order to enslave us. So these Judaizers, they don't like the idea that people are free once they come to Jesus because they've lived their lives by a set of rules, and their lives are miserable, and they want everybody else to be miserable. And they want to enslave them back to the law. But Jesus had fulfilled the law. Jesus had set us free from the consequences of sin that the law points out. And who the Lord sets free is free indeed, amen? But they didn't see that yet. But verse 5, listen to what Paul says. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you, Galatians. I did this. I went to Jerusalem. I met with those leaders. I did it because I didn't want the gospel to be messed up when I delivered it to you guys. I delivered it in its pure state that all you need to do is believe in the work of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. It was about, the gospel's about Jesus, about his work. All we have to do is believe, place our faith in, agree with what God has done to remove our sin and to cover our sin. When we do that, the Bible says we will be saved. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. That's actually in the book of Titus. Verse 6. Now, what was the message of the Judaizers. It's, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This was their message. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That was their message. Paul is there to refute that as being false, as being don't give in to that. Verse 6, now from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. In other words, he's downplaying the idea that these guys are to be worshipped like the Pope, right? No, they're just, they were fishermen that God called and made disciples. Yes, you should respect leaders in the church, but you shouldn't worship them, right? We should have a respect for those who have authority over us, who have knowledge of the faith, but we should not sit there and, and bow at their every word. As a matter of fact, Paul a couple times confronts Peter because he's way off course, Paul says, you're messed up, Peter, right? In the same vein that Jesus did, do you remember? Jesus had to say, Peter, you're off course here. So we're all fallible humans. So, you know, don't bow at my feet. Bow at Jesus' feet. Verse 6, they added nothing to me, is the way that verse concludes. In other words, they said, Paul, what you're sharing is the truth. We add nothing to your gospel. Your gospel's sound. So let me look at a couple things here. The gospel of compassion and grace. Let's go through these slides quickly. Compassion takes a stand for truth. It always has. It always will. When lies creep in, people are bound up. That's not compassionate. The truth is compassionate. There is spiritual poverty in our world. And what needs to alleviate that spiritual poverty? The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That alone is going to solve the spiritual poverty that exists in our world. And here's where the United States is no exception to that poverty. 
The people all around you in your world are just as poor spiritually as anybody else in this world when it comes to a relationship with God. We need to have compassion. We need to stand in the truth of God's grace. Number one, God's gospel is all about Jesus. Number two, God's gospel is available to all. That's compassion. Number three, God's gospel brings freedom and blessing to anyone who receives it. Nothing can be added to the gospel of compassion and grace. What's the big deal? What's wrong with adding on to the gospel? Paul is fighting so that the gospel is not Jesus and a bunch of rules. Why is that important to fight for? Here's why. Number one, if you, if you have the gospel and other things, it empties the power of God and the cross. No longer is that a powerful thing in our lives because we got to do a bunch of other things too. So that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. Number two, it enslaves those God intends to set free. God has called us to enjoy the freedom that comes when we accept his forgiveness and grace. But don't use that freedom to indulge the sinful nature, the Bible tells us. But use that freedom to to do works that are going to bring glory to God. You're always worried about, am I good enough? Is my salvation secure? That's That's what happens when you add to the gospel of grace. Number three, it emphasizes human effort, not God's glory. Works become wearisome. These Judaizers, they were weary because they knew they couldn't measure up to the, to the law. But that was the point of the law, to point out you can't measure up. You need God's help. You need God's salvation. It was to point them to Jesus. But instead, they were still trying to measure up, and their works became wearisome. Christian work should be worshipful. Amen? Our works, God prepared good works for us to do, right? Ephesians says, for you are saved by grace, Through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible tells us that we are to be doing good works that are are an outflowing of our faith in God's good work of what Jesus did on the cross. But those works should be worshipful, not wearisome. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. Here's Paul again saying, quit worshiping those guys in Jerusalem. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. Verse 7. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised. In other words, my ministry primarily was to the Gentiles. They saw that. Just as Peter primarily was for the circumcised, those who were in the Jewish tradition. That was his ministry God had called him to. Verse 8, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Verse 9, when James, that's the brother of Jesus, Cephas, another name for Peter, and John recognized as pillars. In other words, here's your like head, here's your pastor trio in the church in Jerusalem, right? Here in Crossroads, you got Pastor Kurt, Pastor Matt, Pastor Jeff, 
right? In, in some ways, we're leaders. We, we, we speak on behalf of God. We open God's word to you as a part of the church. Here, it was like James, the brother of Jesus, Peter, and John. I want to be in that church. Because, yeah, I'm sorry that you have to have us. But they were recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. Those three men said, Paul, you're definitely ministering for, for Jesus and the gospel. Keep it up. And they encouraged him. And they recognized that. They did it privately in that instance. Later, we would see in Acts 15 that they made it public when that council met to settle this issue once for all. They gave me the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, that they, only, they, they, they sent Paul off with one instruction to follow. Look at what it says in verse 10. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book in the Bible. It's recorded for you. It's called the book of James. Shocker, right? I want you, I want to see, I want you guys to see the heart of James, this man that tells Paul, he's part of that trio, that instructs Paul, remember the poor. Listen to what he writes in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Later in James chapter 2, verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what their body needs, what good is it? James had a heart for the poor. He saw that God's gospel of grace was also a gospel of compassion. Yes, people needed spiritual enrichment. That's what the gospel covered. But he didn't want people to stop there. People need their physical needs met as well. They need to experience the love of God that comes through Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus' own ministry. What was he doing? He was healing the sick, and he was caring for the poor. Is his church doing the same? Are we being the hands and feet of Jesus to the poor. A, compassion of, a gospel of compassion and grace. Compassion takes acting in love. Remember the poor is what they instructed him there in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Number two, look after them in their distress. That's what James writes in chapter 1 of James. And finally, give them what the body needs. Verse uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We are called to love first. Amen? Amen. This morning, I'm going to close with these questions. And I'm going to invite Dennis to come up. Dennis is going to be praying um, for us and also for our hearts for the poor and for the poor and the needy that are in our world, both here in Carmichael and around the world. God wants us to have a heart for the poor. Number one, have you embraced God's gospel of grace and compassion for yourself. Do you realize that you are spiritually poor? You're, you're without a relationship with God. Your sins are not forgiven. You are in danger of being under God's wrath and paying for your sins yourself. 
God doesn't want you to stay that way. God wants you to experience the freedom and the peace and the forgiveness that comes because of what his son did on that cross for your sins. Will you embrace that for yourself? If you haven't done that personally, pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I've sinned. I've broken your law. I need your forgiveness. I need you to come in. Holy Spirit, move into my life and show me how to live a life that's pleasing to you. Number two, who in your life needs to hear that truth? Who needs to hear that truth? Do you have a heart of compassion to present the truth of the gospel to them? And number three, how can you love the least, the brokenhearted, for Jesus? Dennis, will you come and pray for us?